0: In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my sight, to light and guard, to rule and guide, amen. Dearest angel, and each all of our angels here, open our hearts to what we are meant to hear. And help me remember and to convey what Saint Therese wants me to say, really in her honor. And Saint Therese, it's really, we're here to talk about you because you always talked about Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, one thing amazingly beautiful about Saint Therese and we will come to her quote later on, is really when she's expressing that God is stooping down to us. And God is forever, forever reaching out to us. Now, the thing about St. Therese, honestly, is one could really do a whole semester course on her alone because she hits so many different tangents. People often only see her, and they literally, I've said this before, they see her just as this softy, this really, oh, she was always holy. And then they don't move on to more. But she has much, much to convey to us. So here is... um, a picture of France, and then we, in particular, the gray one is honing in to Normandy, where she lived, and you can see right there Lesou. All right, and if we, and if you go higher up to the to the um, coastline, we can even see Omaha Beach, where our men uh, came in and when they invaded Normandy during World War II. And she's not really far from the coast, and there were times she actually spent vacations with her uncle's family, which is maternal uncle, on the coastline. But you see, Lesou is not far away. And we're going to be quickly uh, talking about uh, the Lesseau, the France, really the France that Thérèse knew. And you know, we often truly, we call it... um, It was the first daughter of the church. But due to the French Revolution, there were so many impacts. And the impacts were, in many ways, negative. They were negative for the church. And not only that, but on the individual. All right, so there was the French Revolution. There was also what they would have called the First Republic, because that was actually making the people with the power. It was taken out of the monarchy. But then there was also Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, he allowed more freedom in religion, okay? But the French Revolution took much away from the individual uh, Catholic or Christian and from the church. But it really impacted also religious life. So, Jansenism is a, a, it's a the, it's a form of belief where um, the individual cannot really attain God, okay. But in the, also too, it's like God is not really he's a God of anger. He's not really going to reach out to you. So I'm one of those that I that's one reason why I create PowerPoints because. In my mind, I'm thinking, why am I going to to memorize something that I can have on on a picture? So, Jansenism was a theological movement that emphasized original sin, human depravity, the necessity of divine grace and predestination, okay? And government was against the church, and God was a God of anger. Now, I'm gonna stop for one second. Sister Magdalene Grace, am I talking close enough to this? Thank you, you'll let me know. You'll do something like, thank you. All right, so because of that, this is the sad part. Really and truly, people and priests and sisters saw themselves as, I'm wicked, And they did not see themselves as made in the image of God. And they saw heaven was almost a place I cannot ever go to. Eventually, maybe I'll get there if God lets me out of purgatory. And sometimes they actually thought that they were going to go to hell. Okay? And it really, really weakened the human individual. All right? We sometimes canonize people right away and we say oh you know we we actually when at their funerals we will speak on their virtues which is beautiful but then sometimes you know we even think and we talk like they're already in heaven when really we need to pray for the individuals uh, because we're all uh, sinners but it's really mercy but we have to remember that this type of thought, it affected all of society. And it would have also affected St. Teresa's family. But see, her mom and her dad were amazing people. I mean, they were just, they were people in love with God. And not only that, but they loved their children. Okay, but she was born in 1873. But she also came into a very different situation. And sometimes we forget this. She was born into a family that lost four children, okay? The mother uh, lost some of the children, and some were actually, I want to I say, but I'm, as Helene was, I think, was four years old, and she was a beautiful little girl. There was also a little boy soon after birth that he passed away. And so there was in St. Teresa's family a certain sadness. That, and they didn't do it on purpose. You know, many times, there are situations in our family that the person is, or the situation is evil. But there's also a brokenness to us in our families that we don't do on purpose, but it exists. So there was a, even though they loved God, there was a certain sense of sadness because they had lost so many children. St. Therese, in fact, her mom actually was surprised that she was a girl. She thought she was supposed to be a boy because she said in the womb out of all, all the children She was the most, like, powerful. Like, she'd get a good elbow in in, in the womb. And she thought Therese was going to be a boy. But she wasn't a mighty little girl. Okay, but backer, backer, I'm so sorry. So you see right away, I I just skipped by accident. On August 28th, they lost lost, um, her mother. She's only four years old. If you were here last year, you heard me speak how this uh, impacted St. Therese like you wouldn't believe. But of course, a four-year-old is not going to know this, okay? So already there had been that sense of, of loss because of the children who had died, but now her mother dies. And psychologists know that now that she suffered a sense of abandonment. Because her mother, she lost her mother at four years of age. She was not aware of it. The family wasn't aware of the pain. And then you can see in the corner, up there in the corner, is her sister Pauline, and we know from the story of a soul that Pauline had become her second mother, and she had become very attached to her mother, uh, to Pauline. Now, Pauline, on her side, didn't do this on purpose. Pauline, you know, decides, I'm going to enter Carmel. I'm going to be a sister. Well, she thought, I'm not going to tell Therese. And we really don't know. We know much, much of the family because they shared it, and actually, it's you know, it's in the canonical books, and also, too, what's great is if you ever go, just Google the Carmel of St. Therese Le Sue, and you can spend days, weeks, on the material that they have posted, but we, ne- we don't know why Agnes, and that's what, that, she ends up being Mother Agnes. Um, I'm going to use her, their names interchangeably. Pauline, it will become Mother Agnes. We don't know why Pauline chose not to tell Therese. But Therese ends up hearing, they were talking, and she ends up hearing that Pauline's going to enter. It literally broke her heart. It was, it was actually the person that she had clung to after her own mom died, and now she's in the convent. She, and to even prove it, she when they would go visit the cloister and they would see her through the grill. Event- eventually, after the visit, she would just end up like in this amazing amount of tears. And of course, she was very sensitive, and her family would even you know just see her as overly sensitive. But the sensitive part. Had kicked in with her mother's death, and now it's even more with Pauline's entrance. Now, here's her words right there, and this is how she felt. She said that she went to a visit in, uh, to visit her in the convent, but Pauline was trying to be, you know, you only, I'll be honest with you, I know the experience. In the convent, we only have, we have more. We have two hours a month to visit with our families. Pauline had one hour to visit with her family. And you, and you know in your heart, I don't have long. I've got to talk to kind of everyone. And you want to say, you know, how are you, like my own brother, how are you doing, Raymond? How are you doing, Art? And you want to embrace them all. Well, Pauline would do that, but Therese, just being a little girl... She just felt like abandoned, and her own words were, "Pauline is lost to me." And eventually, what happens is, her uncle Isidore and his family took took the girls away for um, to the coastline for a vacation. Uncle Isidore, he didn't mean to. He's actually the baby brother of Therese's mom. And he doesn't mean to, but he starts talking to her about, about her mother. Therese begins to cry during, during their sharing. And Uncle Isidore even looked at her and he said, Oh, Therese, you're just so overly sensitive. She went home to their chateau and Uncle Isidore went into the town, and she ended up she ended up uh, severely like shaking and convulsing. Okay, the aunt is beside herself because her aunt can't figure out what's wrong with her. Uh, they take her home to uh, lesue and she only worsens. She begins to bang her head against walls. She's crying frivolously. She even sees like monsters. You know, in the story of a soul, she says it's the devil. Well, we know that the devil, in many ways, he, he gets his foot into every stronghold. But this was really not the devil. This was really a psychological manifestation of abandonment. And so she was literally, you know, uh, beside herself. And the doctors, of course, in that time, they didn't know what was wrong with her. And they told the dad, we don't know what's wrong with her. Okay. Pauline hears about her in the convent, and she has all the sisters praying. And they even offer a novena to our, to our Lady of Victory. And the sisters, as you can see in the pictures, her sisters surround her bed. And that would have been Leone. Uh, Marie and Celine and they're still not in the convent and they literally begged our lady for St. Thérèse's healing and St. Thérèse tells us our lady all of a sudden our lady smiled at me this was not by this was not just the statue she really saw the virgin mary smiling at her And she was instantly healed of all that woundedness. Now, God can do in a minute the healing because he wants to stoop down to us. Does it always happen like that? No. Because God has to wait for when we're ready. He won't move in until he knows I can handle it. Caress continues to grow up, and I'm trying to go through this era fa- uh, quicker. But after that psychological healing, yes, the the shaking, the immense headaches, uh, she had severe headaches. She couldn't even get out of bed. The uh, the monsters, um, the conv- the convulsions, the shaking, all went away, and she was able to go back to school. But the, amazed, but the complete like severe uh, sensitiveness was still with her. And in fact, not only was she sensitive, but she was also what we call scruples. So her little sins, she would just, she would just be amazingly sad that she had offended God, and I, she had hurt God. And she would, even, she would now run to her sister Marie and tell her, I did this wrong, and she would be crying copiously, all right? They didn't know what to do with her sometimes. And they would even talk to each other. What do we do? What do we say? But they would not be able to console her. And eventually, she even, they even tried school, but she didn't know how to play with children. She'd always been in her own family. She didn't feel comfortable. A lot of children, uh, some children didn't understand her. And they saw her sometimes as the teacher's pet. And school was actually a burden for her, so she ends up really getting homeschooled. But then, she at this Christmas, it's Christmas. Uh, they go to they went to Christmas Eve mass. So it's now early, early morning, um, December twenty fifth. Her dad is older now. Her dad is tired. He loved his queen, as he called her, and she was his king. But they're now getting into the house. She's going upstairs, and she hears her father say something like, thank God this is the last year that we're going to have her shoes filled with these little, with all these little gifts and everything, because that was a, a French tradition for children. And she hears it, and instantly Like a tear, you know, begins to go down her eye. And her sister, Celine is thinking, oh, no, we're going to have an outburst. What's going to happen? And Therese goes up to her room, and she never forgot this. Instantly, she knew that Jesus healed her. Like she knew it interiorly. It was an awareness that he healed her of that oversensitivity. She is set free from that. And she really, to be honest with you, God gives us what we need, when we need it, because she needed to be healed of that before she enters the convent. Uh, The convent, well, let's be honest, the convent life and even married life would be really, really hard if you're uh, missensitive. You know, your husband be like, He'd probably be like, uh, all I said was, the water's warm. Why are you crying, you know? And in the convent, too, you know, you, we, you live with a bunch of nuns, and some sisters are going to be like, some sisters would be like, oh, my goodness, I, I feel like I'm stepping, you know, on eggshells when I'm around her. Other sisters would be like, get with the program, okay? <laughs> and, and other sisters are going to be like, can we talk this over? And if you're like me, I'm just like, can we move on? (laughs) So she enters Carmel, but again, all that with 19th century France pervades the Carmel, which is really kind of sad. Of all places, you would think that's, you know, where nuns would really see Jesus as he is. But where do nuns come from? We come from the human family. We're just like you. The only thing now is that we, with, through God's amazing love, thank you, Jesus, that he's given me the gift to consecrate my heart to him. And for me, it's forever. But I come from a broken family just like everyone else. So this carmel... Many of the sisters actually, truly lived in the fear of a God of anger and that he judged me. And there was even a mentality of I have to earn like a, a little diamond so it can be put on my crown. But it was really I have to earn. We don't merit that. That's, that was, that's what comes from our Lord. In my heart, I do my best, but God has to do the rest. So, there was even a book that was called, <laughs> when I read that, I said, that's the wrong name for that book. Okay. This book was called The Perfumes of Carmel. It is not a book to buy. Bad book list. Okay. <laughs> but honestly, it really is. It's not the book to get. I was just like, if I would have seen that book, I would have drop kicked it. <laughs> so, That book actually said that in Carmel, we have to live a life of reparation. And the sisters in many Carmel's in France, it was all about, I have to do another penance. The life must be so severe and austere because I've got to be able to get to heaven. It was all about reparation. But our holy mother St. Thérèse who's down below beautiful holy mother St. Teresa of, of Jesus she never said Carmelites are of reparation our life is one of union and love and to be united to the Lord Jesus and to unite ourselves within the entire mystical body but the sisters live that way so they I'm just looking down below so I don't forget anything they live with the sense of guilt You had to always be perfect and clean if you're going to merit heaven. And then, even in the preaching of the day, the very preaching of the day, uh, you would have been, like they were saying, even to children, during a regular retreat, there even had to be one conference on hell. Now, I've taught from first to ninth grade. And you don't, from first to fourth, fifth grade, for sure, kinder through fourth, you do not go extensively into hell or the devil because they begin to dream about him. So Therese, at this point, then besides having all that in front of her, her convent because again from the human family some of the sisters were d- very difficult to live with but now she encounters the cross of her dad of her dad's mental illness now they know now it was a skull, um, you know a hardening of the br- of the vascular of the brain but then people actually in the town of lesue And even some sisters in the convent even said to her, your dad lost it. Your dad went crazy because you entered Carmel. And that was for her a severe, like taking a knife and turning it in her heart. Remember, he was her king. And she was the queen. And... That dad, that love that that dad had for his girls was ama- amazing. He was the ultimate girl dad. You know how Kobe Bryant keeps saying he's a, he was a, a girl dad? I'm sure he was. We, we, you know and I know the Internet has plastered that. I'm sure he was a girl dad. But Louis Martin was a saint, and everything was for his wife and his girls. And he really, what was so difficult for them, in his mind, he wanted to go away and be a hermit. But he he just left home, and he took off. And of course, they could not find him. Now, Celine is still at home. And one of the sisters, which is another story in itself, and she's amazing. Leone was having a hard time staying in the convent. So she was actually home from the, she was not a Carmelite, but she, was, she had a great difficulty staying in the convent. And so she's actually home and he takes off and they, of course they ran to Uncle Isidore, help us find our dad. It took three days and they finally find him roaming the next town. And of course he is not lucid, he would have moments where he would come back, but all this went back to the Carmel. Now, what's interesting is in the Carmel now, uh, there is now Pauline, who's mother Agnes. The second sister is now there, Marie, Marie, um, and, she, um, Marie and she is sister uh, Marie, and Therese is there, and she's sister Therese. And so, Therese wrote this. I did not foresee then the trial awaiting us. Our beloved father would drink so deeply of such a bitter chalice. Words cannot express our grief, nor shall I attempt to describe it here. And everyone, she actually, uh, people who study handwriting, Uh, have said she was so traumatized at this time that her handwriting even shows it in all her letters. So how is she doing in all of this? She's affected by the fear of Carmel, her dad's own cross. She begins to realize still, though, that she wants to love God amazingly. She wants to love him like he's never been loved before. Again, but why was it so difficult? Believe it or not, but as I told you, even many of the priests would, would preach that way. And one priest, during uh, his homily, during a retreat, these were his exact words. No one knows whether God hates them before the throne of God. That thought tortured St. Therese so much that Mother Agnes said she saw her sister turn like, just like all white instantly. And Therese could not figure out how am I going to love God as I, how, if I am so poor and I know I'm so sinful, how am I ever going to attain to what To what God is calling me. So she's growing in love, but again, how am I ever going to attain that love of God? I'm weak, I'm very weak. And it was just a trauma for her, all that was going on. Could I ever love Him, meaning God, as He deserves to be loved? But I'm so little and I'm so wounded. Then God sends, and everyone, all these, what I'm trying to convey to you are, all these are healings. You know, when we get to heaven someday, we're probably going to be amazed at how many times God was doing back back flips for us. God was doing, you know, gymnastics to to heal our hearts. And we're going to be like, whoa, you did, wow, look what he did for me. Well, Therese, he was doing all these things. He's constantly trying to heal her. And he does it, yes, in the daily events. And he even does it through the difficult people. But in this situation, he sent to the convent Father Alexis Pro. Now, in those times, yet the Mother Superior was over the whole convent. But then there was an administrator, priest. Who, put up, uh, who was decided by the bishop, and he was over your convent. So he pretty much chose who was the retreat master. So Father Pro is the retreat master. And this always sounds a little bit funny to me. The only one who was happy that he was going to preach the retreat, and it was eight an uh, eight-day retreat, was Therese. All the other nuns didn't want him. And they were really upset that he was actually going to be the retreat master. And this sounds unusual because Father Alexis Pro was known to convert many souls. And they knew that, but they didn't want him. But Therese was actually looking forward to meeting him. And then because a lot of priests had never understood her, and they actually would misunderstand her in the confessional, And one priest had even told her, you know, you're very proud that she was actually kind of like, should I go? And she pushes herself to go to confession to him. And the next subsequent healing occurs. Again, God stooping down, God reaching out, using human means. And he tells her, you're very pleasing to God. You've never done anything to severely offend God, you must go to God on the ways of confidence and love. And she leaves confessional, and she is set free of, uh, of thinking she's such a low life. But of course, healing is always progressive, as I've often said to people sometimes, I've said, I think and I know the healing will not be over until I'm six feet under. Well, because her heart needs to continue to heal, she picks up scripture and she begs God, show me, please show me what's going to really touch, uh, move me forward And she reads these two um, scriptures uh, in the Bible. And one of them is Proverbs, and the next one's from Isaiah. And the first one, whoever is little, a little one, let him come to me. In the manner of one whom, in the manner of one whom a mother caresses, so will I console you. In the manner of one whom a mother caresses, so will I console you. And she sees it right away, and she realizes, I'm not meant to be huge. I'm not meant to be this big saint. I'm meant to be little. And my littleness is accepting my sins, which she calls her poverty and her weakness. And she says, I've got to go along the means of accepting that. So when I go to God, I go to God with nothing. I actually go with empty hands. And then she, even further, she says, you know what? Nothing's wrong with me. God is the ultimate doctor, and only sick people need doctors, so I need God. And she begins to realize more and more, I've never been abandoned by God. In, 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 and she doesn't really, to be honest with you, she never realized, if we would have talked to her, she would have never said, I suffered uh, a sense of abandonment when my mom died and when Pauline entered the convent. She would have never been able to say that. That's our medicine of today. Today that gives us words, but she realizes, I need a doctor because only sick people need a doctor, and I am sinful, and then I did not, I did not put it in the PowerPoint, but she actually writes up a prayer to merciful love, And she consecrates herself to merciful love. And it actually impels her forward to accept her sins, her weakness, her poverty, her woundedness, and with empty hands to give it to God. And just so you know this, even I until recently, like a month ago, if you would have said to me, sister, have you consecrated yourself to merciful love? Well, everyone, I'm just going to tell you like it is. People think I'm younger than I really am. Okay. I am 55 years old. Now, some people get it. There's some women. You know women. I know how old you are. Okay. But just this past month, two men were like, you're 55 years old? I said, yes. Yes. And one of them, like, I'm just telling you, you don't look it. And I said, "Uh, I am. I'm 35 years in the convent. You can't take any of those years away. (laughs) But even I, up to a month ago, if you would have said to me, have you consecrated yourself to merciful love, I would have been scary. I would have been like, no. And then I read and read. And one of, the, one of the convent sisters who was very close to Therese, she was actually, uh, had a nickname called the Parisian. And she was actually kind of considered by some of the other sisters, she was considered the wild one. But Therese loves her. And actually, Therese is actually the whole reason why she gets approved to, to, to stay in the convent. But this sister Maria, the Trinity, went to her one day and said, I cannot, I cannot consecrate myself to merciful love. And Therese says, in giving yourself to merciful love, it's not about you. It's not about you being ready. It's about God making you ready and God stooping down to you and God picking you up. So... She begins to see God more and more as a loving, compassionate God. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And she says, realizes God's love and mercy and merciful love is not just for those who are holy already for all of us and she says if God only stooped to the level of the most beautiful flowers his love wouldn't be quite absolute because it is love's nature to stoop to the farthest limit and we know already that Saint Therese loved flowers and her her family did too but she really does in life she saw some of us as the roses some of us as the daisies, some of us as the violets, you know. And then some of us are the little stinky flower, you know. (laughs) But when you think about it, it doesn't matter. You were all beautiful. And even, what's that flower? Sometimes I remember, what's that, it's called the narcissistic, narcissism? narcissist. I know that one time, one sister was saying, oh, that's a narcissist. And then I remember, I, must, I remember thinking, oh, that is so pretty. And I got on my knees, you know, and everything, and I smelled it. I was like, oh, that's like stinky, you know? <laughs> and then I was like, ah, it's gorgeous, but it stinks. Narcissism, like pride, you know? Yeah. but and, and I have a very sensitive nose. So I was like, I'm never smelling that flower again. But the whole point is that God is stooping to each one of us and we're all flowers. No one is not a flower. Then, here's my beautiful new brother. And ladies, that was really your big gift to me because in getting ready for you, I found out about Marcel Van. And he is like, to me, Mr. Amazing. Marcel Van end up becoming a religious brother. He ends up becoming a redemptor. Now, his life on a human level, we would have said not easy. Now, let me tell you, though, I'm going to back up and not forget this part. He actually uh, was born after Tourette's, okay? He was not uh, alive. She was not alive during his lifetime. Now, I'm so bad at dates, but he was born in 1928 in a small village not far from Hanoi in Vietnam. And his, um, his family was very, very devout. Um, the, and they had like a rice paddy. Now, the, his dad ends up becoming a severe gambler and alcoholic. Many say it was due to the oldest brother having gone blind. So, but but Marcel loved being with his mom, and he would often say, Mom, let's pray the rosary together, and he loved being with the mom. Now, he, at a very, very early age, he felt called to be a priest. And so his mother, at first, not knowing actually this part yet about the priesthood, and we don't know why. She actually sent him to live with another part of the family. Now, he actually felt abandoned because he loved being with his mother. But then she brings him back, and she finds out that, um, that he wants to be a priest. So in her mind, she thinks, okay, I, 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 we can get that going. And he's only a little boy. So he went to what was what would now be considered a minor seminary. And this one father, I would not know how to pronounce his name. He was really a French father. He takes Marcel in. And this priest did, at the very beginning, sing the praises of Marcel, that he was highly intelligent, that he knew his catechism. Well... The other catechists and some seminarians became very jealous of him. And they actually uh, physically, emotionally, and sexually abused him. And he actually then becomes like a worker. And Father begins to put him working there, uh, and to be honest with you, his instruction into the catechetical life, really pretty much ends. He still loves God, and he still continues to desire the priesthood. But then, at a certain point, he cannot take it anymore. So he runs away, and he actually ran home again. But you know, his mom and dad, they don't know. And when he ran home, he actually sees that um, two like I'm not sure if it was tsunamis or or, but the farm the rice paddies have actually been totally destroyed and the dad is still drinking and so the mother in her heart what does she do and this is sometimes that we don't understand God's ways the mother thinking she was doing what was best sends him back to the seminary So he's again in in the seminary life. I have one minute to go. And what does he do? He runs away. And he ran away to the city, and he actually was a little beggar boy. But then he lived in severe fear of exploitation and being used because he would just beg for food. And... Eventually, I'll have have to come back to that quote, he goes back to the seminary and he actually enters another minor seminary that is really called, which I just love this name, and there's a whole, you know, nothing's by chance. He enters the seminary of, where is my notes? St. Therese of the Child Jesus Seminary, and he enters there, and he begins to learn the ways of God, but it's not long that he's like, how am I ever going to love God as I ought, and he even thinks and he was really. They said like he was charming. He was friendly. He was funny. Uh, people loved him. They also say. And I. I don't. I haven't come across how tall he was. They said he was kind of short. So I kind of felt like we're brother and sister, all right. So what happens is going back to him is he ends up thinking, how am I ever going to love God? And I want to be a saint. Again this comes from uh, being misinformed in the faith. We know that the catechist had abused him. So what does he do? He says, oh my goodness, that the very fact that I want to be a saint, uh-oh, I don't think I can decide that. I don't think I can aspire to that. Uh-oh, I, maybe I'm committing a sin. And he actually thought, Am I I being prideful? Am I committing the sin of pride to want to be a saint? So then he, he decides this. I'm going to pray to the Blessed Mother whom I love. And he went in front of a statue. He took three books that he had just picked. And one of them is Story of the Soul. And he actually hoped that that wouldn't be the book. And he goes in front of Our Lady And they said he was just a very delightful person. And he went to the statue and he says, Blessed Mother, there are three books in front of me. And I want to learn how to be a saint. Pick the book that you want. I'm going to close my eyes and you reveal it to me. And then he even closed his eyes and he kind of went like this. And he mixed up all the books. And he said, the book I put my hand on, Blessed Mother, is the book that you want me to read. And he opens his eyes And it's on Story of a Soul. And he's like, the book I didn't want. But he says, huh, maybe I shouldn't read it. No, I promised Blessed Mother that I would read it. So he goes to the chapel and he opens it up. And that's when he finds these words. Just as the sun shines at the same time on the cedars and on every little flower as if it were the only one on earth, so does our Lord take care of every soul as if there were no other soul like it. It doesn't matter whether I'm a rose, a lily, a daisy, uh, how do we say that again? A, nar- a, nar- a narcissist? I'm still a flower. And he begins to see that, yes. He's called to holiness, and that, yes, God is stooping down to him and reaching him. One thing, though, is one day Saint. Therese tells him, "I have to t- oh, he, I forgot to tell you this. He talked to Blessed Mother, to Jesus and to Saint. Therese. And Saint. Therese tells him he would hear her and talking to him, and he would talk back to her, and she tells him. I have very sad news to tell you, Marcel. And he says, "What is it?" And she says, "You will never be a priest." And he began to cry. And she tells them, "Don't worry, don't worry." I, I remember now. I have it here. It's not on the slide. Dear little brother, God is our beloved Father. I would like to remind you without ceasing of this sweet name. From now on, I want you to keep the habitual name of love. Never take a serious air or a fearful stance against God. Always remember that God is Father. Never fear God. God only knows how to love and to be loved. And those words completely banished all the fear, all the idea that I I cannot be holy, and he moved forward. Now, eventually, we know the communists will invade Vietnam. Most of his brothers went south. He asked permission to stay because he told his superior, I really feel Jesus is telling me to stay in the north because I will be the only one who loves him there. So he stays in, the, in, in northern Vietnam. He is soon captured. And yes, they tried to brainwash him and they tortured him, and, but he would not relent. They could not break him. They could not break Marcel. Of course, because of the conditions of the, of the death camp, he did get TB, and he also got beriberi. And so he died, and he died on July the 10th, 1959. But before he died, he said, they can kill my body but love cannot die. And he truly became a little brother St. Therese, filled with amazing love. But I'm here to tell you, and I didn't tell you my own brokenness and my own story in my family, and I come from a severely, amazingly dysfunctional family. But I can tell you this. That in your sorrow and in anguish, when mixed with love, and when we come to God with empty hands, we are powerful. Our pain co-redeems the world. Jesus takes that pain. and he saves souls. Thank you.